Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second hour of Oilers Now. It's 105 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer joining you from New York City. The Oilers and the Rangers tomorrow. That is a 11 a.m. puck drop on the Oilers Radio Network. Reed Wilkins, Rob Brown. Uh, Cam Moon, myself, and Jack will have the uh, show for you beginning at the Faceoff show at 9.30 a.m. Yikes. Uh, early, early. The Oilers got to get rolling here. They're, uh, they've, they've just won three of their last ten games. Oilers now brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. Uh, you can... Uh, Text in on the show on the Ashley Fine Floors text line, 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted. Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. We're on Twitter, at Oilers Now. You can tweet me personally, Bob underscore Stoffer and Brendan, at Brendan Escott with two uh, E's and two T's. Uh, Brendan and myself will have our uh, first quarter report cards coming at 135. But before we do that, uh, we're going to head off to the River Creek Resort Casino Hotline and be joined by our Oilers Now headliner today. He's part of the Oilers Radio Network. Our headliner presented by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. I saw Trent Wilhawk uh, last night here in New York City. Uh, Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It is the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhawk, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. Three locations in the Edmonton region to serve you. As uh, we're joined by Rob Brown from the Oilers Radio Network. Rob, how you doing? Doing very good, Bob. And you? Good. New York City, what's the first thing you think of as a former player coming in here and playing? Yeah, well, as a former player, player I would think of uh, mean fans. As a, When I retired, I enjoy the city, but used to hate playing there. Now, what do you mean by mean? Like, they would they would heckle you constantly? And did you ever give them any, uh, any love taps back their way or anything like that? <laughs> well, they would heckle consistently throughout the game. Uh, but the one I remember one time going into the arena and our bus was stopped outside waiting to go in and there was a whole group of them and they were banging on the windows throwing cans at her thing throwing coffees at her thing and they're at our bus and they outnumbered us there was a lot more fans than there were players on the bus so uh it was uh the two places that were intimidating through the the fans were philadelphia and new york city and they were we played them a lot and they were probably the toughest on on the players with the things that they would say, and they weren't afraid to say anything. So, uh, yeah, there was, you, you battled, when you went to New York City, you battled the other team, you also battled the fans in the stands as well. Yeah, comes with the territory. Well, right now, the Oilers might be battling themselves a little bit, Rob. They've only won three of their last ten games. From your perspective, what are you seeing? Well, I think we see a lot of what plagued them earlier in the year. They just were outscoring their mistakes earlier in the year. Um, I, I, I mean, I know that there was a, a lot of articles written about them after the last game. They didn't play bad against the island. I mean, you throw uh, 50 shots and the goaltender shuts you out. I mean, you did some things right. And people, I know there's some of the questions, well, you know, you're making these mistakes. How do you, what do you do? Well, the Islanders made a lot of mistakes too. Their goaltenders bailed them out on their mistakes. Having said that, the Oilers are a team that can score. Uh, they, they're a team that has a great power play, but they're a team that is uh, the battle in their own zone isn't as strong as it probably needs to be. Uh, they are not a physical defensive bunch, uh, and they just make too many grade A mistakes. Uh, some nights they're offensive flares or their power play can bail them out when they make those 
five alarm mistakes. And other nights, like in, in Long Island, they weren't able to do that. So I think this is a lot of what we've seen throughout this year. And we've seen in years past, they were like this last year for long stretches and got it turned around. Woodcroft took over. But it's a team that uh, they are not a physical dominant team in their own zone. And they are prone to make uh, either a mistake on coverage or a mistake with turning the puck over and just sometimes too often. So one of the things that happened last year, Rob, is Edmonton kind of got a break, right, when they ended up getting Evander Kane. Uh, and then Yamamoto got going down the stretch too. And right now, and it's not an excuse, every team in the league has injuries, but they don't have those two guys. And to me, they don't look close. Like what's disappointed me the most has been the five-on-five play. Like, you know, they were probably a top six or seven five-on-five team under Jay Woodcroft in the last 40 games or, you know, 38 games or so. They haven't come close to being at that level, even when they had everybody healthy and was supposed to be an area of strength. So is it the transition? Because they're supposed to have a puck-moving defense. If they're not physical, you would think in theory they could at least move the puck. Is there a disconnect between the forwards and the D? Are they not as good? You know, are, are their challenges so severe in defense that it limits what they can do up front? Give me your perspective on that. Well, a few things. Uh, losing Kane hurt. Obviously it hurt. But it's in the offensive zone. And they're still able to score goals without Kane. And Yamamoto's had a tough year. So him being out of the lineup, to me, it doesn't change a whole lot because he hasn't been as good this year, not even close to being as good. But one of the things that I think it's overlooked and probably was underappreciated at times last year and most likely hit a lot of the Oilers' deficiency on the back end, they don't have Mike Smith this year. And when teams last year would dump the puck in, Mike Smith was a vacuum. He'd get everything, come out, and he would move it up. So he took the Oilers' defense out of having to make that play themselves. If you think about it, 90% of the pucks that were shot in last year by the opposition, Mike Smith got, and he made a play. And they don't have that, and I think that they really miss that. And now you're starting to see the, the mistakes that are glaring or when the others get stuck in their own zone for long stretches, it's because the, uh, they don't have a Mike Smith bailing them out, getting making that pass up to the defenseman. So now he's only got a 10-foot uh, span of having to get it across the blue line or making the pass himself and hitting a forward outside the blue line. The Oilers now are being pressured because teams can dump it in and forecheck them. Last year, you couldn't forecheck the Edmonton Oilers simply because Mike Smith, when he was in the net, he took that away from the opposition. So uh, I think they are some of the deficiency are being shown because they don't have Mike Smith uh, giving them that easy out of their own zone that they had for the last couple of years. Well, to further your point, Rob Brown joining us on the Oilers from the Oilers Radio Network. Rob, Mike Smith was injured a large part of the first half of the year. When the coaching change was made last year, Edmonton was at an 895 save percentage. Okay, so they weren't getting stops and they weren't getting pucks off the ice because Smith wasn't available. They went 915 under Jay Woodcroft save percentage. Okay, and that includes losing games where you give up an empty net goal at the end of the game. That gets factored in your overall save percentage. And Smith, obviously, was very good in the final half of the season. And I, I agree with you. Uh, Kulak came in with 20 games left, and they really kind of took off down the stretch. And there's no question they are not the same. You know, the other thing that's happened here, I mean, they've we were all hoping for Evan Bouchard to go on a, 
You know, last year he was 11th in the NHL. And even strength scoring by defensemen at five on five uh, had over 40 points at even strength. And he's a shadow of where he was at. Who did he play with last year? Duncan Keith. It's a great point by you, by Smith, because not only is their number one goaltender struggling, but they don't handle a puck as well. Their defense is under greater duress. They've got some defensemen. To me, Kulak hasn't looked as good. Uh, he's had some skate issues at times this year, and he's taken on more minutes. And then there's a total, I don't know what you think about this, but I think there's a total lack of depth at forward as well. Well, yeah, part of that is when you have a, a salary cap and certain players make certain money, you only have so much to spend. So they're, right. their fourth line are all make, they're a million-dollar player or less. So you're getting what you're getting. Um, again, the, the oil, two things. The, the bottom line, the fourth line for the Amazon is they're not going to score. They don't play enough to get goals which isn't a problem. But the, what the Oilers need from the bottom line is energy. They need physicality. And that's something that they don't have. We've seen over the last while with Vegas coming in, we've seen with Carolina, we've seen with Los Angeles, their fourth line bring energy. They bring physicality and they keep momentum going in the right direction. So if when Connor or Leon's line get out there, they're not having to start have to get momentum going themselves again. They are having to now because the fourth line isn't getting it done, and they're chasing so often. You have to overuse your top players. Uh, to me, they're just the Oilers' biggest this year is they just haven't been good defensively. The, the stats show that. So, watching the playoffs year after year after year, if you don't have a good defensive structure, if you're not a good defensive team, I don't care how good you are offensively, you're going to lose to a better team every time, and that's what's we're seeing right now where the others get exposed is they're just making these mistakes and they're making the mistakes at the wrong time of game and it's mistakes made not just by depth players or your defense by everybody and we saw a great example with the Pajogo the other day I mean Barry, Nugent Hopkins and, and McDavid were your three players back on a two on three and Pajot somehow by himself untouched in front of the net so those things can't happen with totally the with you. players so it, it's been a tough stretch. Now, I know I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think this is, you know, I, I believe the Oilers are a better team than they've shown. But in a, I, I do believe they're a playoff team, but they're finding themselves further and further behind the top teams in the conference or in the division, which is going to be harder to win your division with the amount of points that they're falling behind the Vega. Let me ask you this. Would you be prepared? Would you be prepared to sacrifice one of Philip Roberg or Evan Bouchard to get a better defenseman that's ready right now. If you could somehow make, you probably have to include Paul Yarby in order to make the dollars work. So would you be prepared to give up one of Broberg or Bouchard, or Bouchard with Paul Yarby? And at this stage of the game, it's not out of the realm of possibility to suggest you know, I don't know how much trade equity Yesapoliarvi has out there. He's got one goal all season, and he's played a fair amount with some pretty good players. Um, but would you be prepared to do that to get yourself a four million dollar guy that's a little bit more experienced on the back end? As long as that player that's coming in has some uh, nastiness to him, some meanness, some heaviness to him, yes, one hundred percent, I would. I think that's what the Oilers are missing on their back end is Duncan Keith, when he came here last year, he's not the Duncan Keith that we saw for 15 years in Chicago. But he still had that swagger. He still had that 
he, he was nasty. He's a mean hockey player. And you just have to go through the videos over the course of his career. Oh, some yeah. of the things that he's done. He, he, he was a mean hockey player. The others don't have that on their back end, and they need that. They're desperate for that. So, yeah, 100% I'd be willing to make the trade. If you can make your team better by putting a little more uh, – I mean, Colorado Avalanche last year, who do they go out and get? A Manson. That Manson on the back end solidified their back end. You could put him out there. He could change the complexion of a hockey game physicality through his nastiness and I think that's what the Oilers miss on their back end you know what's funny is you would have analytics types that would say three or four years ago Manson was the type of guy to go grab but that he his value had depreciated the last couple of years and all I could think of the other night is they have one of the toughest players in the entire league in Curtis McDermott but he was out with an injury and Jamie Benn uh, we all saw what Jamie Benn did to Zach Hyman here and the Oilers had no pushback on that and Basically, Manson and got it into it with Jamie Ben and tossed him around for fun. And Jamie Ben's a tough guy, as we all know. And mm-hmm. I found that I, I I found that to be really. And it was if you go watch the fight on HockeyFights.com, it was a clear, decisive victory for Josh Manson, who has in the past fought Milan Lucic. So you know he went through a shoulder and concussion issue, but it's you know I I, I got to tell you, Rob, I, I hate seeing teams get pushed around. And the Oilers try to intimidate through the power play, but they don't have the puck enough, and they're not spending enough time in the O zone to to get enough calls. And at the end of the day, I, I do think they don't just need to add a more physical presence on defense. I want to change the complexion of their bottom six forwards as well. What about you? Well, you saw what, and again, some of the the big players that Vegas threw on their their bottom their bottom three, like their fourth line the other day in the Long Island. Their fourth line with Clutterbuck and, and Martin and Tzizekas, uh, they're not there to score goals, but they play. They were not afraid to put that line out against McDavid's line on home ice and face-offs in their own zone because they have to trust them defensively, but they're a physical force. Uh, I mean, they have two of the top hitters in the league on that fourth line. They don't have to fight even. Just they could be a physical presence by getting in on the forecheck, finishing every check. I think that's something, yes, that the Oilers missed in the bottom six. And it used to be, your top line was all offense. Your second line was a good offense, but also you could trust defensively. Your third line was a bunch of checkers. And your fourth line were tough guys and penalty killers. And that's the way teams were always made. And some teams still have that. And teams like Long Island, when you have a fourth line that you can put out there without fear, and the opposition, they know when those two lines come out there. And those lines can change hockey games. And we've seen that in Stanley Cup Finals, where teams have started their fourth lines because they want to set the tone for the game. I don't think the Oilers right now have tone setters in their bottom six. Uh, no question about that. All right. Uh, would you load up McDavid and dry settle? Um, the, so there's the good and the bad. The good of it is your first line really, really good. But without Kane in the lineup, your second line, there's a big drop-off. Um I, I would probably be go. I would probably go earlier in the season. I'd probably start with them on separate lines, and then earlier in the game, if things aren't going right, put them together. But I, again, if they do put them together, I wouldn't have an issue with it because right now five on five. I mean, the Edmonton Oilers have the two leading scores in the National Hockey League, and those players I think are both plus one on the season. And there's key, there's players around the league that are plus twelve, plus fifteen, plus nineteen. So if your two leading scores are plus one, that means five on five. As great as they are, it's not 
as much as you need from those players five on five. Yeah, and I don't think Leon's right as well, which is part of the reason why. Like, that's what I was going to ask you about because you mentioned it right when it happened last year. When Drysaddle got that high ankle sprain on that cheap play by Mikey Anderson, you know, you said, Bob, this is, you know, we weren't sure if he was going to be able to play game seven of the series. He did. But if I recall correctly, you you suggested that it could take upwards of six to eight months for a guy to feel right coming off a high ankle sprain. Is that what you, is that what you yeah, I had it my last year at junior. And and then I did, I, just like Leon, I came back to play. I went from the crutches right to the ice. But you're never you're not the same player. And every time you think you feel it's getting better, you try to do something a little more, and then you re, retweak it. And I had my ankle taped for the first three years of my NHL career because my ankle was never correct. Now, players now are in better shape, and they have better uh, doctors, and they have better rehabilitation. But it was... My ankle felt, and still, like if I was to do one foot hops right now, my one side I got about a five inch vertical, the other side got half an inch. It just, it never, it's never the same ever again. So, yeah, he's, and he it finally admitted it not too long ago when he said, yeah, it still bothers him. And yeah, 100% it does. And it affects you in, in weird ways. And you just can't pivot, you can't do the things, and you don't have the explosiveness. And that's the one thing that Leon Bryce has always had. He can't go 100 miles an hour like Connor all game long, but he had an explosiveness that when he exploded, nobody was catching him. Yeah, no question about it. All right, Rob, great stuff. Uh, I'll be thinking of you in New York City here tonight. I, I know <laughs> yeah. that it was one of your favorite places to visit once you stopped playing. Oh, absolutely. I love New York. New York is a great town. There's a lot of Broadway shows. Go, go see Hamilton tonight, Bob. I'm going to be watching the Golden Bears online tonight against the University of Calgary. I got to be honest with you. My choice would be Hamilton over the Golden Bears, but hey, to each his own. To each his own. Rob, we'll talk tomorrow. Thanks for your time. Welcome back, everybody. It is currently 126 in Edmonton. Do you want to mention Japanese Village for 50 years? Edmonton's destination for a celebration for the senses. Reserved today at jvedmonton.ca. We head into the Oilers now. Injury report brought to you all season long by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Uh, James H. Brown, it's this simple. They're the best. That's all there is to it. They get you the best results. They've got the most experience. They'll look after you. Well, it is a storyline for Edmonton, but it's a storyline they're going to have to get over here because they're not going to have Evander Kane for probably at least three more months. And um, he's a big absence, obviously, out with that wrist injury. Yamamoto as well, currently out with an upper body challenge, and that has taken away two of Edmonton's top six forwards. Uh, you know, 43 games played last year in the regular season for uh, Evander Kane, he scored 22 goals. He added 13 goals in the playoffs. Yamamoto broke the 20-goal plateau, and Edmonton's uh, forward depth has been significantly challenged as a result. Uh, there you go. We will tell you, Vincent DeHarnay, uh, the Bakersfield Condors are 5-0 and this year when he's been in the lineup. He ended up getting an infection. He had a surgery done on his hand, and he is out for at least three more weeks, and he's been a big absence down in the farm as well. 
The gang at Brent Ridge Ford did such a good job selling their trucks and SUVs. They are in need of more. You can trade in your vehicle for an upgrade or sell it to the Mount Right, whatever's best for you. Remember, if you order a 2023 truck from Brent Ridge Ford, your interest rate can be locked in as low as 3.99%. Uncle Melt Rich, Johnny and the gang, 780-352-6058. Brent Ridge Ford is your Ford truck authority on the Auto Mile in Wetaskiwin. These guys will look after you. We'll head off to a global news weather traffic up update uh, with Kevin Robertson. And when we come back, Brennan and myself will have our uh, midterm reports and we'll have an updated NHL today. Uh, it's a U.S. holiday uh, Thanksgiving weekend and there's a bunch of early games today and we'll get to that as well for our friends at Elite Promotional Marketing. You're listening to Oilers Now.